Women Taking the Lead, episode 135. And so I think what makes me uh, a better leader is I try to spend uh, my 100% attention um, on a particular thing and, and encourage my team to, to do that as well. Um, because multitasking, you know, everyone says, oh, I'm really good at multitasking. Well, I don't want to be good at multitasking because that means I'm never giving 100% to your project. And so I want to be able to to do that. And so that's kind of what I'm putting out there as as being a leader in design is being able to focus 100% on uh, a particular project. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentl.com forward slash recognize to reserve your spot in our upcoming webinar on how to be recognized and rewarded for the work you do. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Emily Mottram, who grew up in Pennsylvania. She received her degree from Penn State, and in 2007, she and her husband moved to Maine, where a passion for functional yet beautiful space led Emily to start Mottram Architecture and start pursuing design with an emphasis on cold climate building. She's licensed in Maine. Pennsylvania, and New York, and her burning desire is to design simple, attractive, durable homes that use space efficiently, but in a soulful and creative way. Oh, I love that, Emily. So that's, that is just a little bit for everyone to kind of get a feel for who is on today, but tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. Um, sure. Uh, I went to Penn State, um, in the 2000s uh, to get my architecture degree. Uh, and then my husband and I moved um, to Washington, D.C., and I did a lot of residential construction um, for people in Washington, D.C. area. And um, my husband and I woke up one day. He was from rural Maine, and I was from rural Pennsylvania. And we said, what are we doing in Washington, D.C.? <laughs> so um, we moved to Maine, where he's from. Um, and the market, of course, got pretty terrible in about 2008. Um, we like to joke that being an architect was considered gainfully unemployed in 2008 <laughs> through 2012 almost. Um, but I saw it as an opportunity um, for what did Maine particularly need to, you could get out of the field of architecture and do something different, or you could make it work for you. And um, the one thing that I thought Maine really needed was better housing stock. Um, some of the housing in Maine was built in the 1800s with some of the oldest housing stock in the country. And, um, you know, when you owned the back 40 acres of a woodlot, you just cut down more wood, but we don't live like that anymore. And so I really felt that it was important to um, start designing and renovating houses that would take advantage of um, using less energy, using less um, materials, less fossil fuels to um, to get through everyday life. Because um, as you know, being from Maine yourself, um, it gets really cold. <laughs> so mm -hmm. having to heat your house is, is really expensive. Um, and New England is, is one of the only places left in the country that still uses uh, fuel oil to, to heat their houses because it's, it's so remote and rural. And I, I just thought there had to be a better way. Um, and I was trained as 
as an architect, but I wasn't trained to understand building science. Um, and I thought that that was really important, that buildings should be designed with um, the performance in mind as opposed to made energy efficient after they were designed. So um, that was kind of what started me down the path of, of doing energy efficient um, residential design, zero energy design, passive house, um, all these kind of fun, cool standards um, that make better, more comfortable houses so people are more comfortable in their space. Wow, Emily, that's amazing. And, you know, I, having started my business in 2010, I was hearing a lot about businesses that were struggling during that recession and how hard it was. But what kept coming up time and time again were the companies that were thriving through the recession because they were adapting yeah. to it. They were being more flexible and actually paying attention to what was needed in the marketplace during that recession. And yes, being in Maine, a big topic of conversation, and it happens all year round, it doesn't matter what the weather is like, is the price of oil yes. and the price of heating your home. Big topic. And so you took what could have been a horrible experience and turned it around and took advantage of what was going on in the marketplace and what was needed in the marketplace, especially in Maine, which was how to heat your home more efficiently and to go about it in a different way rather than looking at, you know, what fuel you're going to burn to heat your home to try to save money, but actually look at the design of the home itself to be more efficient. Yeah. So it was just so important to, you know, to reduce the amount of whatever type of fuel you were using, whether it was electric. Um, at the time, there were programs in the state that were putting electric heat pumps in, but the electricity rate in Maine is like 15 or 17 cents a kilowatt hour. So um, using electricity to heat your house without reducing how much you needed would, would just be so expensive. Um, you know, and so there was just this whole idea of being able to reduce the amount uh, that you would need, um, mm -hmm. which I found to be really fascinating. Um, bef before I decided to go to architecture school, my, my second interest was in science. And so I thought it was kind of cool that there was this whole building science component to, to architecture. Yeah, I love that. And I can hear in your voice, you have a lot of confidence around this. Like you've studied this, you've worked with it, you're feeling really good. And I know from conversations we've had prior to this one, you're feeling really good about what's going on in your business and the growth you've experienced lately. But for this next question, I'd like you to take us back to a time in your life when you were playing small, right? Those moments where we really don't recognize our own value so we're, we don't, we play smaller than what we're capable of. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Sure. Um, I certainly think that there, there were a lot of things that were obstacles and roadblocks uh, in my way prior to getting where I am now. Um, and one of them was in, in 2009, when I wanted to start my own business, I had gone um, to meet with a counselor and the counselor says to me, well, you're really young. No one's ever going to hire you. And I thought for the longest time, and I still think it's a hang up that I have every once in a while, I just keep thinking, I'm really young. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. And then I remember that I've been doing this now for 
for a significant period of time. And, and I do know what I'm doing and I, and I do have this specialty, but, um, architecture is, is really, um, still a male dominated field. I think, um, in the American Institute of Architects, only 17% of registered architects are, are women. So, um, you know, it's a really unique and challenging field to, to be a female in. So, so not only was I young, I was female. And so, I had this challenge where I, where I felt like I, I basically had to prove myself. And so um, one of the things that I was doing a lot of was was energy consulting. And, and I had gone out to a house and um, the gentleman meets me at the door and says, well, where's the rest of your crew? And I said, well, you know, it only takes one person to do, you know, to do this evaluation. And he's like, well, you're a woman. And I said, Yes, I am. And if you feel like at the end of, you know, at the end of our evaluation that that I don't know what I'm talking about and and that I haven't given you a value added service, you know, I will walk away and I won't charge you for the audit. And at the end, he says, I think you might be the smartest person I know. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that gave me sort of a a little boost of confidence. Like, yeah, you know what? I, I do know what I'm doing, but but being young and being female in in a male dominated field uh, has always been a struggle for, I believe, most female architects. Um, and so, for for me personally, I've I've sort of found a niche, and I've I've started working with specific contractors who um, not only don't question my age or uh, whether or not I'm male or female, um, but also are really willing to do um, some of these cool and interesting things that are part of the building science field, um, which is the second struggle that I have in Maine. Um, Typically in Maine, contractors have, you know, worked for their dad who worked for their dad and um, they've been doing it this way for 25 years. And when you're building a super energy efficient passive house or net zero structure, um, it's a different way of building. And you sort of have to put your foot down and say, I know it may seem like I don't know what I'm talking about, but I do. <laughs> and I want you to do it in this, in this different way. And so it's certainly a struggle that, um, you know, people who have built this way for, for 25 years don't, don't always respond well to, to doing things in a new way. Um, but after they've done it several times, they start to be believers. Uh, but it's a challenge, um, for sure, to the first time you work with with a contractor um, that doesn't know how to do energy performance building because it, it can be very different um, and it and it's a struggle and then <laughs> to, yes to to try to make that work is is um it's interesting but but a challenge. Yeah, I think being young and female, we've all, you know, for the women who are listening, we've been there, (laughs) you know, I experienced that as well when I started my coaching business, because, you know, my focus is to be the coach to the entrepreneur, the business owner. And I did have, you know, well-intentioned people say to me, I'm concerned about you because you look very young, right? And you are a woman, you know, the perception of some male business owners might be, what can this person possibly teach me? And actually one of my clients, shared with me that that was his thought when we first met. What can this woman or young girl 
which is what he was thinking. What can she teach me? And, you know, and I have clients who, who go up against that as well. And the advice I give them is exactly what you did, Emily, is just keep doing what you're doing right? Showcase your expertise, focus on what you're good at. You know, you can only continue to just put one foot in front of the other. And as you build up a caseload and case studies and testimonials, you'll win people over. But, you know, the bias is going to be there, you know, and it comes from women and men. It's not just men who think this way. I've also had women who thought the same thing. She's so young. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it just takes time because we all have some expertise and some area that we're really good at. That's where our value comes from. And so lean into that. That's what I say. Just keep believing, you know, give people time, you know, let them be won over. And I think people want to be won over, but they're very skeptical at first. So I love that approach you took where it was just like, if you're not happy at the end of this, it will be free or please trust the method to my madness. Yeah. There's a reason we're doing this. And I found typically when I back it up with, you know, just like you said, case studies, the education, um, you know, anybody who's ever met me knows that I'm, I'm a serial student. I just took a two week class in New York city to, um, get another energy certification because I think that, um, you know, it's so important to keep up with the technology and everything in your field, but I, I just like to learn. And so um, generally, I find that after someone has talked to me and we've, we've talked through a project, they, they start to get on board, at, you know, and so um, I would encourage anybody just to, you know, believe in yourself and then people will start to believe in you. I mean, I mean even the gentleman that said, you're really young and no one will ever hire you. Till I left that meeting, he was like, wow, you really know what you're doing. How are you going to find people to work with you? And I'm like, oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> figure it out. Thought, isn't that what you're supposed to help me with? <laughs> <laughs> so true. But look how far you've come. My goodness. Yes. It's amazing. So let's segue into um, the time in your journey when you had a wake up call. So Emily, take us back to that moment. You know, and for some people, it's like an epiphany. It's a lightning bolt. For some people, it's a, it's a slow awakening. But there's a moment when you're ready for action. Share with us that moment and the steps you took that led to your success. Um, sure. So I, I think that moment came for me. Um, so I started my business in 2009 and, and whenever you start a new architectural business, I think, um, you know, unless you have a client base that you bring with you, you essentially have to start from scratch. And so I was doing a lot of energy consulting at the same time, because that was something that really played well into my practice. So I was teaching and doing energy consulting and doing projects through my business. And I, and I woke up one day going, I'm working like 90 to a hundred hours a week and I, I'm not focusing on my business. So I'm doing all of these things because, because I'm afraid to take a leap and just do it. And I was traveling all over the country doing large-scale energy consulting for a company um, out of South Carolina, and I finally said, no, this, this isn't what I want to do. The energy performance is absolutely you know, important, but I want to bring that to architecture and create these soulful and beautiful places, and, and that's what I have within me that I really wanted to do. And I finally said, it'll never happen if I don't just 
make the commitment. I'm tired of working 100 hours a week and feeling like I'm never giving anybody 100% of me because I'm so stressed out, you know, stretched thin, doing all these these things. And I finally said, okay, um, I'm going to cut back on the consulting and I'm going to actively pursue the work that I want to do. And when I stopped doing all the things I didn't want to do, all of these opportunities presented themselves for things that I did want to do. And so I feel like you have to just open yourself up to the really scary things, <laughs> like taking that leap. And, and I'm extremely lucky because I have a very supportive husband who said, you know, yeah, go for it. You know, we'll make it work. And, and, um, and so I did that. And that was sort of the, the wake up moment for me, which was, you know, part of what I bring to architecture with this energy efficient and soulful spaces is to give people, you know, their own lives, their own space, not spend as much on their houses, really enjoy these beautiful spaces that I wasn't enjoying my own space. And so I think that once I kind of let go of all of that, I was able to concentrate more on what I wanted to do and, and be in a happier place with my business. So... Yeah, I've heard that story time and again, or some similar stories, I should say, that that whole concept of doing work you don't want to do because it's the work that's coming at you, right? Right. Knowing that there's work you'd rather be doing and that you summed it up so perfectly where you have to take that scary step of saying no yeah. to the work you don't want to do first, yes. right? Really not knowing what's going to come. But every time I've heard somebody tell this, this type of story, they all say, just like you did, and then opportunity after opportunity in the work I wanted to do started showing up because I had more space for it. Right. And that can be so hard to take that first step, but you're, you're so right. If we just take what comes at us without discerning whether or not it's the work we were meant to be doing, it's the work we want to be doing, we'll get busy really fast doing work we don't want to be doing. Exactly. And that was basically what happened is I was doing, you know, a bunch of important work. And, and that was what, what was also challenging was to let go of things that I I knew I was doing something important, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so, um, you know, it, it, it took a little bit to kind of let go of that because it, it, it is, it's a little scary to say, if I let go of this, will something else fill the place? And, and it does when you kind of, um, you know, stop doing the, the different quadrants, you know, the, the busy mm. and important to not important and not urgent and, you know, start really working on, on important, but not urgent right. aspects of your business. So. Yeah. The stuff that will really move it forward. And I heard a quote, it's not recent, but I started taking it on recently when I noticed I kept getting into this cycle of like clearing my plate and then filling it up again, <laughs> clearing my plate and filling it up. And I always bring myself back to that point of overwhelm, yes. right? Where it's just like, like the, the, a slot machine when it's like, it all falls apart, yes. right? <laughs> Yeah. So I heard this quote and I took it on practicing it. So I'm offering it up to you and to anybody else who wants it, though. I think you've already taken it on. And it goes, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> right? Because there's always really good opportunities that will come where you'll be like, oh, that's really exciting. That that would be really cool to do. But is it exactly what you should be focusing on at that time? Yeah. Is it exactly the work that you want to be doing at that time? Because oftentimes the things that will send us into overwhelm come in a pretty package. Right. They look good. They look exciting. So we say yes. And before we know it, we're in overwhelm. So if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. It's a no. That's a great, that's a great quote. Um, I think it was, um, I read a lot of business books and I think it was in Dave Ramsey's Leadership book that uh, he said, you know, if you take on everything that, that comes to you and you, you don't have a mission statement and, a, and an idea behind your company to, to weigh new projects against, you know, does this meet our mission, he's like, you'll find out you climb to the top of the ladder and the ladder is leaning on the wrong building. So oh, yes. <laughs> I always thought that was really fitting. Like, oh yeah, you know, you take on all these projects and you might be really successful and you get to the top and you're like, wait, I didn't, yeah. wait, I wanted to right. be on that building. <laughs> right. You got fooled because you were climbing. Right. You were still climbing. You were still achieving. You were still seeing success. You just landed in the wrong place because you weren't paying attention to where you were right. going. Oh, I love that. All right. And Emily, this is a great segue because what I want everyone to get is there's no one way to lead. We're all different. So we're going to lead differently with different strengths, personality styles. And for you, you've done a lot of reading. You've you've read a lot. of. You're a lifelong learner. You've read a lot of business books. So how would you describe your leadership style? Um. Gosh, that's a good question because I, um, I don't know if you've ever taken a, a DISC survey. Oh. I have. <laughs> and so I am I am firmly planted in the in the C category. Um I'm all about the learning and the analytics behind um behind it. And so my leadership style is to I don't necessarily care how how we get there as long as it's right in the end. Um and so I spend a lot of time I think doing research and and being really involved in the details, which I think comes back to being trained as an architect. That's essentially what we're trained to do. Um, but I think my leadership style has a lot to do with just doing a lot of research and pulling it all together and making sure that the scale and the proportion of whatever it is fits together. And then I try to um, disseminate that to my team. Um, I'm a sole proprietor and I work for myself, but I have a bunch of consultants that do work with me. And when we build a team, we try to put together, you know, the right team. Um, even when I do a project uh, on my own, I try to encourage a homeowner to choose a contractor early on in the design process, which is um, not as common of a scenario because I feel like pulling that together and pulling everybody's knowledge in um, gets you a better project in the long run. So I think I really love the idea of team building and this organic movement to come up with the right answer in the end. Yeah, and I really can appreciate the C style because I'm I'm an ID, so we're on the opposite side oh of the spectrum. Goodness. Yeah, which can you know in some cases for people can cause conflict, but what I find is there's a nice collaboration yes. um, between our different styles. And what I appreciate about your style, the C style, is you you do ask questions. Yes 
to get more information, to get a bigger picture, to make sure we're going in the right direction before we take off. Whereas, you know, my style has a tendency to like latch on to big ideas, <laughs> get really excited and take off before we've done the research. Right. Yeah. So it's it's like my you know, my ideal is to be partnering on a team with someone like you. And, you know, because the role you would play is like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a really exciting idea. Let's make sure it's the right yeah, one. Let's get the, the idea sounds fantastic. Let's get all the parts and pieces together and and make this idea really work or find out that this isn't the right idea for what we're doing before we invest a whole lot right. of resources, right? Because where you're coming from is I want to make sure we're successful. If we're going to invest a lot of energy, let's make sure we're successful. Right. So awesome. And Emily, what is the biggest leadership or business challenge you're faced with right now? Um, probably the biggest challenge that I'm faced with right now is, as I finally have, have gotten, um, you know, a lot of people around me, contractors and, and other business people who, who are on board with it. Um, the biggest challenge I have right now is, is education. Um, people aren't yet asking for these things that they want because they don't know what it is. Um, so a lot of times when someone will go and, and build a house, they'll say, well, I'll just, you know, order a plan set online and have a contractor build it, or the contractor will know what they're doing. What do I need you for? Um, and so, Architecture as a profession, I think we've sort of shot ourselves in the foot on this as we bring so much to the table and people just don't know they need you. And so um, especially in the the net zero design and the super energy efficient design um, field is that people don't don't know that they need that. And, and unfortunately, um, the hardest thing to change in a building is the insulation. Um, and it's the first thing that gets cut out of the budget when the budget comes in over budget. And it's, <laughs> it's mind boggling to me. And so um, my, my biggest challenge right now is really just getting the word out there and explaining to people, you know, in terms that they understand, like you want to be comfortable in your house and you, you don't want drafty windows and, you know, explaining the sort of principles behind it because people don't know what they don't know. So that's been the biggest challenge, I think, for me. And Emily, have you read The Storyteller's Secret? I have not. If you want to add that to your list, because that book is all about that, how people people don't really like to ingest facts and figures like they need them to some extent to help make a decision. But what they really latch on to is the story behind those facts and figures. Oh, I will definitely add that to to my list is because um, I'm in such a technical field. Sometimes I have to rein myself back in and say, no, no, no. You know, they don't care about the details here. You know, they don't they don't need to know the, the heat flow and building performance. What they want to know is that they're going to be comfortable in their space and that they're, they're not going to grow mold because they don't have condensation. And <laughs> Right, right. And that's exactly it. And, you know, in the highly technical fields, because I can also think of, you know, my lawyer as well. Right. You know, I'm like, I don't want to know the details. It's what I pay you for. Exactly. I trust you. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me <laughs> right? what I need to know and where I need to sign in order to make this work the way it's supposed to. <laughs> right, right. Like, tell me the story. Give me like paint, big strokes, broad picture. Where are we going? Great. Where do I sign? Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> 
And on the flip side, Emily, what's one thing you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Um, so I am super excited. Um, I partnered with Clear Conscience Construction in Cumberland um, to basically create a couple of zero energy prototype houses. Um, so the first one has been up and live since October of last year. Um, and we saw our first uh, zero electricity build. The whole house is um, electric. And so uh, there are solar panels on the roof. And she paid nothing in electricity in the month of uh, May, I believe, which was super exciting. Um, and the second house is going up. And um, essentially, one of the hardest things in in um, architecture is people can't actually see plans in three dimension. So we wanted to be able to show someone what they can have. Um, and so we're working on these zero energy prototype houses where they built one as a prototype that they can show to people and, and rebuild um, over and over again, um, slightly modified if there, there are changes that need to be made, but um, they just had an open house at the first one. The second one is going up and everybody that came through said, this is fantastic. There's nothing on the market like this right now. And so um, we were really pleased with um, the response that we got on the project because we think it's cool, but we want other people to think it's cool as well. And so um, I'm really excited about where that's going and getting um, maybe some more developer builders on board with doing a similar um, project where we can basically create these great houses with great space for people um, that they can't necessarily see, you know, what's this plan going to look like in three dimensions? Like, what will it look like when it's done? That's very cool. It's kind of like the storyteller secret where they get an experience of it. But that, but in this case, they actually get to go in and touch it yes. and feel it and see it and be inside. Yes. So that's really cool. So, All right, Emily, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? Um, I think the one practice that I have um, is I don't answer my phone or my email all day long and that I've really put it down where I take chunks of time and I, I concentrate on a particular project without the distractions um, because I feel like in our in our society today, we can really get caught up in, in immediate response to emails and you know, the phone ringing. Um, and so I think what makes me uh, a better leader is I try to, you know, try to spend uh, my 100% attention um, on a particular thing and, and encourage my team to, to do that as well. Um, because multitasking, you know, everyone says, oh, I'm really good at multitasking. Well, I don't want to be good at multitasking because that means I'm never giving 100% to your project. And so I want to be able to to do that. And so that's kind of what I'm putting out there as, as being a leader in design is being able to focus hundred percent on uh, a particular project. Yeah. I'm not a big believer in multitasking when, you know, for me, multitasking equals being pretty good at a bunch of things, right? you know, happening all at once, but you're not at your best and you're not bringing excellence when you're multitasking. There are times in life when we have to multitask, right. right? We don't have a choice. Things are being thrown at us and that's what needs to happen. But that's not the foot I want to lead with. Right. I, <laughs> if I had a choice. I agree. Yeah. yeah. 
And Emily, what's one book, and this will be tough for you because I'm sure you have a, a lot, but what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Um, the E-Myth is probably the best book that I've read. Um, I'm a book that I would highly encourage anybody who is um, in any kind of either leadership position in their current company or thinking about starting their own business because it makes you think about business and work differently. Um, you know, because a lot of businesses are started by somebody with a technical skill where they basically just create a job for themselves, which isn't the same as creating a business. And so you start to look at what are all the parts and pieces that come together to make a successful business. And I think it makes you better in your current job, or it gives you either the courage to take the leap and start your own business or say, you know what, that's not really for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's very strategic. And I remember when I read it, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a day off from my business, you know, and read this book and think about and put into practice all of the things that he was talking about. Yes. And it was, it, it, it was mind blowing. It was so mind blowing. I, I think everybody should, should read that book before. <laughs> I think everybody should read that book. <laughs> Yes, before they start their business. Yes. <laughs> and Emily, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, my younger self. Um, well, my mom raised us to believe that we could do whatever we wanted. And all we had to do was work hard at it and, and expand. But I've also read, um, I've also read the Robert Kiyosaki, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. And I think I would have given my younger self, uh, more space to think outside the box, um, to look at things a little bit differently and to look at everything as a, as an opportunity, you know? And so, um, I work outside the box in, in architecture, in the field that I'm in, but I don't know that I ever gave my life the ability to be like outside of the go to school, get a job, do all that. And so, um, even though I started my business before I was 30, I still think that, had I had a broader thought process and, and everything, I probably, you know, would have done things a little differently. <laughs> Absolutely. And now share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. I, I, I guess my, my mantra is to, is constant pursuit of knowledge. Uh, why it has meaning to me is, um, you know, the world is always changing. There's always going to be somebody that's better at your job than you are. And so um, constantly pursuing knowledge just gives you a more well-rounded aspect to to what you're doing and, and helps you to be that expert in your field. Um, and so I just think it's so important to continue to educate yourself. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't have to be um, within your field. Uh, there was an architect who um, took a couple years off and climbed every mountain that he could and came back a better architect because he had sort of expanded his, you know, his knowledge, uh, just being out in the world. And so, um, I, I think that's important. And lastly, Emily, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Um, well, uh, probably the easiest way is my website, which is, uh, Matram arch.com so matramarc.com um i have a 
mailing list. Um, so anybody who wants to be on the mailing list that's even remotely interested in um, zero energy, net zero, energy efficient design, um, I try to put out a monthly newsletter just you know, what's going on in the world, what does it mean, um, just trying to educate more people so that they, you know, realize that this is something that they want. Um, so I have a blog, I have a newsletter, um, all this stuff is really easy to to get from my website, or you can always email me at uh, emily at matramarc.com. Mm -hmm. And I'm on the mailing list because I find this topic just fascinating. <laughs> I really do. It's so cutting edge. I'm like, this is cool. Even if you have no interest in ever building or designing a house, it's just interesting information. And you never know who you might run into that that is interested. And you can say, hey, I I got this great newsletter and you should totally you know check it out. Um, and so um, I find that people sometimes just follow along because they think it's cool. <laughs> Yeah, it is. All right. And for those of you listening, you know, you can find all the links and resources shared at this episode at womentakingthelead.com. And Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life? Head over to womentl.com forward slash recognized to reserve your spot in my upcoming webinar on how to be recognized and rewarded for the work that you do. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me, and here's to your success.